welcome to another episode of As I See It, an Umpire Podcast. I am your host, Joe Sweeney. I am a registered IHSA official, and I officiate the sports of baseball and softball, and we officiate the NFHS rule set. I apologize that it has been several weeks since my last episode. I had originally intended to do this weekly, got a little bit busy. Had a little spell in there where I didn't have any games after high school got over and between summer ball. So I do apologize for that, but I am glad that you have tuned back in to listen to us. It may sound a little bit different. I got a new microphone. I had been just using the microphone on my iPhone, and I have since upgraded a little bit, and hopefully the sound quality is just a little bit better. In this episode, we're going to talk about five newbie umpires. As you know, I schedule the umpires for our local summer ball league here. I'm going to talk a little bit about them. We will talk about a few summer ball games that I've had and the things that have happened there. Um, we're going to talk about runner's lane interference. And lastly, we're going to talk a little bit about drop third strike or uncaught third strike. In our first segment today, we're going to be talking about five newbie umpires. As I have said before, I schedule the umpires for our local league here in our small southern Illinois town. And our league consists of five or six other towns. So years ago, each town was able to produce enough players for multiple teams in their own town to have leagues. But as time has gone on and travel ball has become more popular, the numbers uh, have dwindled quite significantly, and so now we have to draw from other towns and form a league that way. What we have is new umpires coming in that have interest in umpiring, and we start them out at the 8 and the 10U levels between baseball and softball both. Typically, I put the boys in the baseball side and the girls in the softball side just because that's the sport that they play. I have had occasions on both where the boys do occasionally umpire softball and vice versa with the girls umpiring baseball. Nobody has a problem with this. I certainly don't have a problem with this. The rule sets are basically the same throughout them. Uh, What we do is we gather or gain interest from a couple of high school kids or a few high school kids that express interest. Uh, I think we had six or seven total this year with five new ones. We retained a couple from last year and So what we have to do with them is we have to train them. So I have myself and one of the other older umpires that does the training with them and stands on the field. And so how we kind of train them is we stand on the field with them, kind of give them an example of what we do, how we do it, calling balls and strikes, calling safe and outs. Just give them a little bit, just to watch, just to observe. So all the things that we've told them before the games, they can see them into action. And then we allow them to next be the umpire on the field. I stay there with them or my trainer stays there with them for a couple of innings. And then towards the end of the game um, of like the 8U, because the 8U goes first and then there's a 10U game that follows it. The 8U, we step off the field over kind of in foul territory towards the fence and we allow them to call safe out and call the game how they see it. We're always there available if they have a question or if they are uncertain and they need to look to us, we we pay attention to what's going on, and we're there to make a call for them or help them make the call if they're unsure, Um, but we're there for them to answer questions. As we go into the 10U game, so they get two games a night and are able to learn that way. Depending upon the 
uh, person or their age, which factors into a lot of it. Sometimes they get two training games, sometimes they get four and, and, and have gotten more. We want to make sure that they're ready before we put them out on the field by themselves. It is difficult sometimes for a young man or a young woman to deal with adult coaches because sometimes the adult coaches do get a little competitive and we just want to make sure they're ready. We don't want them to have a bad experience. We want them to be prepared. We want them to feel like they're prepared and we also want to ourselves make sure they're prepared so the game in the league goes smoothly. Uh, what is a little bit different is number one, they work solo. Every game they work solo until we get to tournament time, which the rules state at tournament time you have to have two umpires. And the reason for that is there are instances where the rules state when a ball comes in, uh, a runner will have to go back if they're not more than halfway, which is denoted on the field with a hash mark. So that's one thing that's different. Another thing that's different is at the 10U level, they have to call balls and strikes and they have to track pitches because at both levels, when their coach is pitching to them, 8U is coach pitch. When their coach is pitching to them, they only get X amount of pitches. So the umpire has to track that. Uh, one main thing that I stress to them is game management and managing the clock. There are time limits and there are run per inning limits. So one thing that they have to do is manage last innings. We had five new ones this year. Uh, they've all done a really good job. And I think all with the exception of one, they will all be back. I had a few freshmen and I had two exiting seniors that were new and did an exceptional job. It helps that they're older. Um, but I did have one that decided that uh, they didn't want to come back this next year. It was just not for them. And I tell them all in the beginning, umpiring is not for everybody. We spend some time training them and we want to make sure that they are ready. In our next segment, we're going to talk a little bit about some of the summer ball games that I have had this year. Uh, I typically don't umpire the younger levels, the 8 and the 10U. I like to leave those for our new umpires to get some experience. Um, and once they do get some more experience, if they're interested, we'll move them up to the 12U and the 15U. Um, and that level, in our league, one of the officials is required to be a registered official with the IHSA. In summer ball games, sometimes you have some pretty obscure plays because sometimes the quality of play is, is not as good. Um, that's just the facts of it. Some crazy things happen. But I'll be honest, this year I have not seen that many. One of the things that I did see last year, uh, I had to rule on twice in one, uh, one season, was at an 8U-10U game. I just told you I didn't uh, umpire many of those. But I was doing an 8U-10U game last year, and twice... Um, within a couple of games span, I had two runners occupying one base uh, at the same time. And really, all you can do is stand there. You can't tell them what to do. Their coaches are typically screaming at them to tag the runners. And so they typically don't know which one to tag. And so they'll tag both of them. And at that point, the trail runner is out. The lead runner is the one who legally obtains the base. And so the trail runner is out. And that's another thing is uh, I can remember the one from last year. I wasn't sure who the trail runner was, and so we had to clarify that with the coaches. Um, I did see a couple times this year in one in the same game, back-to-back -back half innings, where the runner failed to tag up on a pop-up. Infield fly on both of them was not in effect. It was just as if the runner forgot what was going on. They watched the pop-up, waited for it to be caught, and advanced. So there was one out. Both ended up with an ending inning double play on both of them. 
I had a couple instances this year where there was um, dead ball interference where the fielder was making a play on the ball and the runner just runs into them. And you hear chirping from the stand. She was in the baseline. And obviously that's not how the rule works. If the fielder is making an initial attempt to field the ball, the runner has to go around them and give them the opportunity to field the ball. I did even have a coach come out. He called time. He's very respectful. Called time. He's like, hey, doesn't my runner? And he looked at me. And he's like, no, never mind. You're right. I think it just kind of occurred to him and dawned on him that, yeah, the fielder is protected in this case. Uh, the other thing that I had was a drop third uh, or an uncaught third, which we're going to talk a little bit about here in just a minute, where the batter swings through an uncaught third and the ball goes to the backstop and the batter runner knew that they needed to vacate and not be in the way of the play that's coming at home. All the while, the batter runner is standing there watching the play happen, and they're not out yet. Obviously, it was a strike three, but the ball got away. I'm just standing there waiting for the play to to happen. I'm not calling. I've called it a safe as far as the strike three goes, and I also called the batter. I'm sorry. I called the runner coming home from third safe, and finally. The defense, the coach, who was uh, well-versed in the game, knew what was going on. They instructed their catcher to throw, um, and they got the out that way. But we're getting ready to talk in just a minute about some drop third situations that I have encountered this year. That's about it. You, you do get a lot of obscure things that happen typically, but I have really not had very many this year, and those are the things that uh, we learn the most from. I do... Take this time to work on specific things, whether it be mechanics, communication, and most of all, like I have said in previous episodes, the thing that I struggle with most is is being consistent with my strike zone. So um, there's two factors kind of that go into this. Number one, being consistent with when I call the pitch, watching it all the way into the glove. And the other thing that factors into summer ball is that the zone is a little bit bigger. We tell coaches this beforehand, that the zone is bigger than as defined in the NFHS rulebook, but it's summer ball, and that's kind of what everybody agrees upon, and this is what we go with. Tournament time, we'll, we'll tighten it back up a little bit, but a lot of times these games end up being uh, run rules, and you know we, we want to we keep the kids swinging the bat. In our next segment, we're going to talk a little bit about runner's lane interference. If you go to the As I See It, an umpire podcast Facebook page, I have posted a video that is textbook runner's lane interference. This is a rule that is, number one, often misunderstood and not known to people or the specifics of the rule and doesn't get called a lot like it should. I have not yet encountered a runner's lane interference, but but this is one that is, like I said, often misunderstood and seldom seen. And when it does get called, it typically generates a little bit of controversy. The rule in the NFHS baseball rulebook is 8-4-1G. And it says a runner is out when he runs outside the three-foot running lane last half of the distance from home plate to first base while the ball is being fielded or thrown to first base. This infraction is ignored if it is to avoid a fielder who is attempting to throw or field a batted ball or if the act does not interfere with a fielder or throw. The batter is considered to be outside the running lane lines if either foot is outside either line. So that means in fair territory or 
outside in foul territory. The runner would be out of the runner's lane. And we call this the 45-foot mark. So basically in baseball, it is half the distance from home to first, which is 90-foot bases. So that would put it at 45 feet, and it's 3 feet wide. If you're officiating softball, the bases are 60 feet. And so therefore, the runner's lane would be halfway and that'd be a 30 feet. So if the fielder fields a ball and the runner is not yet to the runner's lane and the ball is maybe thrown into the back of the batter runner and he is not yet reached, it is not interference. It's just a baseball play. We don't call it. It's not interference because the runner has not yet reached the runner's lane. This is the only interference that the ball must be thrown. If the batter runner, for instance, bunts a ball down the line and is running in fair territory, which is out of the runner's lane, which would be an infraction, but it only becomes an infraction if the catcher throws the ball. If the catcher fields the ball and he decides that he can't make the throw because he doesn't want to throw and hit the batter runner, there is no interference called because the throw must be made. This is the only one. The other thing is that the quality of the throw does not matter. If the batter runner has been deemed to interfere with the throw, then and he's outside, then he has committed runner's lane interference. So if the batter runner bunts a ball that is fielded by the catcher and is running within the three-foot runner's lane, and the catcher fields the ball and throws it to the first baseman, and it hits the batter runner, and both feet are running in the runner's lane, it's not an infraction. Again, it's just like as if he has not reached the runner's lane yet. It's not an infraction, but the ball must be thrown. So that is runner's lane interference. And I do invite listener emails, listener questions. If you have a comment on this one or a question about this one, please drop us a line. And the last thing that I want to talk to you about today is a drop third strike, or as the rule refers to it, an uncaught third strike or not caught. The rule uh, is fairly commonly known. Most spectators do know on a drop third strike as long as first base is not occupied, or if there are two outs and first base is occupied on an uncaught third strike, the batter becomes a batter runner with the opportunity to advance to first base. The rule on this is 2-24-3, and it reads, A strikeout is the result of the pitcher getting a third strike charged to a batter. This usually results in the batter being out, but does not so if... The third strike is not caught, and the batter runner legally reaches first base. So that means the batter runner reaches first base before the catcher either tags him out or throws the ball to first base for the force out. Some controversies that can come into this is, is if a runner is stealing, the catcher can forget, especially at the lower levels. The catcher forgets, uh, throws the ball down the second, or tries to make a play on the runner, batter runner going to first, but the batter runner is now retired as soon as it is strike three when there are less than two outs. So sometimes you'll even have a coach come out and say, hey, first base was not occupied because he was stealing. Well, that does not matter because this is a time of pitch. And at the time of pitch, the runner occupied first base. Um, I did have a little bit of conversation with a partner and the discussion was when the batter is out. And Rule 841I specifically addresses that. Now, if you watch a lot of Major League Baseball or college baseball, then you will see that the 
runner is, I'm sorry, the batter runner is out or gives himself up when he leaves the dirt circle. Those are college rules or OBR, which is what Major League goes by, but not in NFHS. In both the baseball and the softball books, the rule reads the same. It's 8-4-1-I. On a drop third strike, he gives up by entering the bench or dugout area. Or, when there are two outs, he does not attempt to reach first base before all fielders leave the diamond at the end of the half inning. So if you have a drop third strike and you give the safe mechanic or the mechanic to indicate that the ball was uncaught and it was either a strike in the strike zone or the batter swung at it, the batter runner technically is not out until they reach dead ball area or the dugout or the bench area as specified in the rules. So this means if they're on their way back to the dugout and they're 15 feet up the third base line, they are able to run because as we've as we can find in the rules, a base runner establishes his baseline from his position straight to the base. And this really only applies when there's a tag. But that's something we'll get into for another day. This was um, an interesting conversation that I had had, um, had with a fan as well. We talked a little bit about this, about when a batter runner gets himself up. I actually wasn't 100% sure until I went back and I looked up the rule, but the batter runner gives himself up when they enter the dugout or the bench area. So just for future reference, if you're out there um, and you call them out because they've just given themselves up because they've walked away, that is not how the rule is stated. Hopefully that'll clarify some things for you. Well, that's all we have for you on this, the fifth episode of As I See It, an Umpire Podcast. If you have any questions about the rules that I have mentioned in the past or have an idea for a segment on the show, please email me at asiseeitpodcast1995 at gmail.com. Give us a like on Facebook uh, where you'll also see the video that I stated earlier about the runner's line interference. And please subscribe. We are found on all of your favorite platforms. So if you have not listened to all of the episodes, please go back and and give a listen. As always, thank you for listening. And as always, I would like to leave you with a bit of scripture. This comes from Colossians 3, 23 through 24. Whatever you do, work at it with all of your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Until next time, God bless.